much love. Want your bad romance? It's episode 11, season four of Ravish Love. That was the best thing for this sex and horror episode. Absolutely. So, for folks who are new to the pod, welcome all this Mm -hmm. month. Just so you know, that was the Elvin and the Chipmunks version. Oh, okay. (laughs) With the chip hats, it wasn't the Lady Gaga version. Thank you for that clarification. That was really important for context. Um, this month on the show, we it is Renee's birthday month. So Renee has chosen the theme each week. And this week it was horror. And I allowed it because I love her so much. Because <laughs> I am the sunshine Thanks, rainbows of this here operation. But uh, I found a gem. So I'm delighted. But um, so, okay. This is our last episode of your birthday month. So what is your astrological sign, Renee? Um, I'm a Taurus sun and I am an Aquarius moon and I am a Scorpio rising. Okay. So this is Taurus season. What is, yeah. what are the characteristics of a Taurus? I know nothing about, basically the only stuff I know about astrology is my own. <laughs> <laughs> and like Capricorns, because I have a lot of Capricorns in my family. But mm-hmm. what is what is the deal with Taurus? Is the Tor to Tori to Tori <laughs> Taurus bulls bull okay. yeah cows. Um, so is it stubborn? You know and I no okay. well no. So um, I don't follow the zodiac because the uh, constellations and the months that they were uh, set up to originally, like hundreds of years ago, um, is not where the constellations are now. So, because because the world has has tilted, its axis has changed. So, um, they are not true to today's night sky. Um, Touche. Yeah, but yeah. Um, and I also don't like that uh, star patterns know more about me than I know myself. But um, what I like about Taurus is is that uh, we're lazy and we like to just chill and eat and uh watch netflix and shit um but we're everybody likes a taurus like everybody gets along with us we're we're good cow people um and i don't think there's any zodiac that doesn't get along with us because we're fucking chill folks so yeah we're just and then it's all like earthy moss stuff because it's an earth sign, I think. So anyway, all that to say is that I should be in a bog eating chips and watching Netflix. That's really my element. Which honestly, yeah. that feels very on brand. So you could say what you want about mm-hmm. the stars, but you, I mean, you really just want to be a swamp witch. You're just really about that life. I really do. I was meant to be. And remember like when Wit was on, they accurately guessed that I was a Taurus yeah, uh, when y'all were rapping zodiacs and didn't even ask me what mine was, but um, bang on. I feel like zodiac people get it. I'm not a zodiac person uh, exactly, but but you know you are. I live for the memes. Absolutely, I was gonna say you're passionate about the zodiac killer, so that is 100. Uh, Ted Cruz is guilty <laughs> and should be locked up for his crimes, but um, his various yeah. crimes, even beyond his zodiac killing, for sure. 100%. And I'm curious, Renee, since yeah. this is the yeah. last of uh, your birthday month, so I'm just really going to turn this into an interrogation. So mm-hmm. you've always, as long as I've known you, you've been mm-hmm. a gothy type person. I've seen photographs of yeah. you as a teen, very gothy. Was that always your vibe, fun. even as a child? Um, Yeah, I was always really into like spooky dark shit. Um. I grew up in a really old house, like a 200 year old house in, in Moorwood. Um, we had like the funeral parlor room and we had like the living room and stuff. And my house was full of secrets. Ooh. It was full of secrets. And, um, like your hair, like we had, we had like a back, we had like a secret passageway into our like dungeon basement Damn. and 
I found keys all over the property, um, which I realized later was probably because they used the property for like, um, like antique sales, oh, like auctions. Okay. Okay. And so I feel because those are really popular in that area. My mom went to a lot of them and we had an acre lot behind our house. So I think that's what happened was that people set up um, auctions and things on the property at some point, And then maybe keys just fell out of furniture, but I found a ton of keys on this property. And my dad was convinced that our house was haunted in so far as like, there was a summer where his crazy ass started like mm-hmm. landscaping quite a bit. Um, literally the only help he ever gave our family. And somebody came by and they were like, Oh, did you look at pictures of the property um, from the previous people? And he was like, no, um, he's like, oh, well, she did her gardens the exact same way. So he had like set up rocks around um, all of the garden beds and like put flowers in places there had been flowers before, but like he wouldn't have known that. Um, and to this day, he's like convinced he saw a ghost and that like a ghost woke him up and was like, fuck you doing in my house. But it was like a little old lady. Um, so we just grew up with this idea that like ghosts are real and they live in our house and uh, it's just the way it's going to be. So um always loved that stuff now i didn't really dress that way i was really you know i had really big self-esteem issues and stuff so i really just wore this one club monaco sweater till like until it disintegrated off my body um as one does as one does but you know what i i grew into my spooky roots as i got older and got my first boyfriend who was a goth boy Mm. and really brought me out of my shell yeah like i watched the crow probably 50 i probably watched the crow more times than i've watched shrek at this point whoa so that's a lot yeah it is a lot it's not even a particularly great movie <laughs> <laughs> the crow i mean not shrek yeah it was like shrek to be clear to our master <laughs> to be clear yeah. yeah this here on this show in this house we stand shrek so to be yeah. clear we're referring to the crow the crow and see, yeah and they're doing a remake of it and i'm I'm not happy about that um because it's really just like a diss to my my formative years but um whatever i'll accept i even did like the crow makeup at one point oh, and i remember i had a stepsister at the time and she was so upset by my makeup that she like told on me oh damn and she was like renee's putting makeup and my stepmom at the time bless her heart was like Renee can do what she wants. Like, yes. She can just fucking live her life. So, um, you know, shout out to Linda, my ex stepmom. Yeah. Love you. Um, best thing that ever happened to my dad. And um, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I was I was kind of always spooky. I always loved spooky things. I always, you know, did spooky shit. That's, but I was born into it. That's fair. And I just find it so uh fascinating one because i'm always just like regardless of who it is and i meet them i'm always just like what were you like when you were younger i don't know i'm just like that kind of person but it's also so funny to me because you and i i mean we've said this multiple times if we met Mm. when we were younger either we would have been the oddest pairing on the face of the planet and a real and a real (laughs) like example of opposites attract or we would have hated each other because i was afraid now I shouldn't say, I shouldn't be too hard on myself because I did love a goosebump as I've talked about yeah, I think multiple sure. times on the show it's how I learned English basically loved watching uh-huh. are you afraid of the dark <laughs> like I love some of that stuff but I remember this guy I had a huge crush on listened to Nirvana and Corn and yeah. um Slipknot and like even yeah. his like t-shirts and sweatshirts about it freaked me out like I I found it scary yeah. Um, and so I was, and still am like sunshine rainbows all the time. And so I just, we would have been the most incredible pairing of like Wednesday Adams and like bubbles from the Powerpuff Girls. <laughs> yeah. We'd be like Daria and her sister. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, you know, when I, when I moved to the island, um, I didn't have any friends there, but nobody knew who I was. I was like this weird enigma to people and I leaned into it and I remember the way I met my best friend at that school Casey was that I had worn um a Marilyn Manson t-shirt to school and on the back it said I don't like the drugs but the drugs like me and I never like taken anything but like Tylenol drugs um at that point but she was like I really like your t-shirt and I was like thanks and like she to this day is like this beautiful 
like earth goddess, red hair, like gorgeous, just earth fairy. Um, so we were kind of like a weird pair too, but I remember there was this kid in my class and I was like really self-harming a lot then. And he saw my arms and he's like, what happened? Oh my God, what happened to your arms? And this girl who I like, I didn't know yet really, Casey, she was like, oh, she stuck her arms in a wood chipper. <laughs> and I was like, I love you. And we were best friends. Like we were <laughs> to be best friends. <laughs> so I feel like. I feel like you would have stood up for me too, and maybe that would have built a relationship. But yeah, I think we were just really different. You and I were probably very different uh, crowds and stuff. Yeah. So, but I really love that story. I mean, it has a real Cohen's brother Fargo vibe to the idea of putting your yeah. hands in a wood chipper. But <laughs> nonetheless, I respect the allyship. <laughs> I know. Like, how great was that? And I just was like, that was the best. And this other kid, his name was Dean. He, We were in like theater stuff together, but he was terribly frightened of me for the rest of high school. Um, all thanks to Casey. Good. So, we love to see that. Yeah. So thank you to Casey for scaring all the boys around me and keeping them away from me. And um, yeah, just being a cool dude. Cool dude. Yeah. Loving me for who I yeah, was. Yeah, we love that. And who you are is yeah. someone who loves gothy shit. And so this week yeah. we read horror because it is your birthday and we should always Yay. celebrate. I'm big on birthdays. Regardless of how old you are, I think it's really important to celebrate still being alive. Um, so... i know it's dark but like it's true i've had so many like moments where i was literally on death's door that i think i just it has like i've always loved birthdays because i love a party and i love like all of that stuff and my love language is like words of affection so i love like when someone's birthday i can like tell them all the things i love about them but i also think like (laughs) quite seriously that when you face your mortality as many times as i have for someone who's like not even 40 I think it just gives you like a serious appreciation to like, oh my God, you're still here. And I think especially in a pandemic, I'm like, let's go hard in the paint. So I feel like your birthday cards really do like do that sort of words of affirmation thing that it's forced me to deal with my like fear of attachment (laughs) (laughs) because you go so hard and I'm like, maybe I am the best person. I am, you know what? I am struggling though with my age this year. I had to go get my license renewed yesterday, and the picture was not great. Oh, like it was not great. I, I have that. aged, and I, I blame the pandemic because I did, you know, really start smoking very heavily during the pandemic and drinking heavily, and that has aged my face. And I am not here for it. Yeah. Um, I feel like, and I'm, and, I mean, honestly, not a vain person. But. No, you're not a vain person, but I really think that there's something to be said for how this pandemic has like aged us all, like physically, yeah. mentally. Like, I just feel like we're a, a nation. I'm sure, like a world of very weary people. Um, so yeah. I get it. Yeah, I'm a big like. Yeah. I have to get my passport renewed this year. And also, I'm not vain, but because I use my passport as my primary identification, I have to show this thing a lot. And like pre-pandemic, I was on the road constantly. So when I got my passport photos taken, they were not great. So I literally paid for a five-year passport instead of a 10-year passport. (laughs) And I think I'm going to do the same thing this year. I'm like, I'm going to go. And if I don't like the photographs, I'm like, okay, well, it's only five years. And if it's like a fire photo, I'll be like, I'll have this for 10 years. Um, Well, they they changed everything here, which I didn't know, is that... The licenses, I don't know what it's like in Ontario, but they used to be five years. And um, my birthday's on Saturday. And historically, I have left the renewal of the license to like the last moment. Mm -hmm. But I went in early this year and the lady at the DMV was like, hey, um, how old is this license? I was like, five years. And she's like, oh, you're going to have to retake your driver's test. I was like, pardon me? I was like, pardon me? She's like, yeah, if, if it's like five years expired, I was like, no, 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 no. I was like, my birthday's not till Saturday. It's not expired yet. She's like, oh, well, just so you know, had it expired, you would have had to retake your road test. I was like, what? Oh my so God. So they've changed it now here where it's not five years, it's three years. So in three years, I have to give them like another hundred bucks, but you know, I'm going to be on it because I could not pass a driver's test. Oh. I can't parallel park. Like I run stop signs all the time. <laughs> like I couldn't. <laughs> There's no way. There's no way. And I'm like, 
fucking Alberta. Of course, this is how they would change everything. Ugh. Money. Brutal. Oh my god, that's so funny. I don't know. I I think I could pass, but I would have to do it in my car because... <laughs> in June? In June, my 1974 <laughs> Super Beetle, because it's the same car I've had for 20 years. This is my 20th birthday with June. Um... Secondly, it's a standard and I like cannot drive a manual, like an automatic transmission. Like I can't, I, I'm constantly wanting to use both feet. Like it's a problem and I can parallel park, park back, like back into a spot with my eyes closed in my car because I just know the dimensions because I've been driving the same car for 20 years. Right. So I think <laughs> if I had to, and I did it in June, I would be fine. But if you gave me like an automatic transmission, bitch, I would be slamming the brakes constantly thinking I was changing gears. Um, just cla- like just bad. And also, yeah, cannot parallel park in any other car but mine. But because I know the dimensions of my car, like the back of my hand, I'm like, do do do, like just like a pro. Um, but the, oh just God. the thought I- of, oh my God, I, I literally didn't sleep the night before my driving test when I was like 18 or whatever it was. I was so stressed out and I sped because <laughs> I've always had a lead foot. And you're supposed to automatically fail if you were speeding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I don't know if the drivers, like the tester, the instructor I had just didn't care or like liked me or something. I don't know. But I passed. But like the only thing I got wrong was I fucking <laughs> like was speeding. <laughs> and it was like in my parents' I can't remember if it was my parents' minivan or my brother. Oh, it might have been my brother's car, which was a 1984 Volvo station wagon that looked that was nice. white and it looked like the Hearst from the Ghostbusters. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. You know what? I I didn't sleep for um, my G2, um, and I was big and pregnant. I was a big pregnant teenager when I went to take it, and <clears throat> I almost hit a car <laughs> in the driver's instructor's car. And I immediately failed, but I took it again. My mom got me like driving lessons. And then the guy who gave me the driving lessons was also the guy doing the test. Oh, so I, I passed. Yeah. And now, you know, my son's of driving age and I recently finished paying off my van. So it's going to be his, but he just like, he's either going to be the best driver in the world or his sweet little autism brain is just going to think it's Mario Kart. Like it's going to be one or the other. And I'm very nervous, but he just like can't mobilize to go take this test. But I, I get a sense he's actually going to be like a fabulous driver. He's, you know, mm-hmm. he's really, a, you know, a very, he was like doing these Mario Kart, um, like championships against like people in, in China and he was crushing it. So I'm like, if, if my little boy, my sweet baby boy child can beat Chinese people at Mario Kart on a Chinese server He's going to be a great driver here in Alberta, I think, frankly. I believe so, it. I absolutely believe yeah. it. Yeah. One more fun fact about my son that I recently found out only yesterday. Yeah. I did not know this. My son took a drama class right before the pandemic. I didn't know that. Oh. Do you know who he played? Oh, I don't know, but I'm excited. He was Regina George. <laughs> I was like, the hero of me girls you were regina he's like she wasn't the hero mama i was and i was like she was absolutely the hero that was the regina george story not the lindsey lohan story yeah um i was like really he's like yeah and i just keep learning things about him like for example did you know julie that my son was a master on the recorder no is that even a thing he was yeah he got invited again nobody told me this when he was younger, he played the recorder on his own. He soloed the recorder at his principal's retirement party. What? I was like, who are you? Like, you know, and I, I think back to like myself as a child and myself as a teenager having like all these secrets yeah. from my parents and them having no concept of what was going on in my life. And now it's happening to me where my son not only was, is like a recorder genius, um, like beyond hot cross buns is what I'm saying. Like he knows more than hot cross buns. He also played Regina George in a play. I was like, who, who are you? You live with a stranger, you? Renee. You live with a stranger. I do. And this is the, this is the boy who like, when he sees me, he hunches over like a goblin and goes, mother. <laughs> That's how he addresses me. He's like, mother, I need sustenance. And like, he's like a goblin child. I, I'm just like, who are you? You enigma. <laughs> such a beautiful, such a beautiful boy. Beautiful boy. He absolutely is. Oh, 
anyway, that's my that's my nightmare that I'm living in right now. What was your nightmare like this week, Julie? <laughs> well, I'm actually really stoked because I thought I was going to have multiple nightmares by the fact that I had to read a horror romance. And okay. yet found a fucking gem, Renee. Oh. Okay. I am going to be annoying in my private life for the next few months because I'm not going to stop talking about this goddamn book. So again, this is an ARC, which is an advanced reader copy. So this book isn't even out until May of 2022 okay. here in Canada. And then I think it's June in the US. So this is fresh to death. And so as a result, I'm only going to give you a synopsis. Because I desperately want our listeners to go out and get this book. It is so good and so brilliant. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about it. And I'm going to tell you why I loved it so, so much. And then I'm going to just leave you there, folks. I'm going to leave you hanging a little bit. Because I I really want you to go out there and get this book. And also, I will emphasize again, pre-order. So... As an author, I can tell you that pre-orders are hugely important for authors, especially first-time authors like this one. Um, it's literally what decides whether or not you get onto bestsellers lists. It also helps build, it decides whether or not you're going to get media coverage. If there's a lot of people pre-ordering, then that means there's buzz around it. So you're likely to get picked up by different places. So if there's an author or a story or even a book cover that intrigues you and you're like, oh, I'll get that when it comes out, pre-order. Can't emphasize this enough. This is my hot tip for folks. So you want to pre-order The Petting Zoos by K.S. Covert. You absolutely want to. I cannot emphasize this enough. So K.S. Covert, uh, has a delightful bio. So I'm just going to read it to you directly because I loved it. Uh, Examined her talents and realized she had two options for a career, writer or rock singer. Writing seemed more stable and a career in journalism ensued, but always the idea of living to write instead of just writing to live bedeviled her. The Petting Zoos is her first novel and she lives in Ottawa where I live. So love that. Um, So the Petting Zoos, Oh, fuck. And also, I'm going to say this. And again, I feel entitled to saying this because I have written a book that was award winning, but also designed. Everybody, do you know that Julie wrote a book? I did. And it was award winning. More than once. But my book cover is pure fire and I have nothing to do with it. So that's why I feel more than happy to brag about it. So um, and it was made by award winning book cover designer Ingrid Paulson. So the cover for the Penning Zoos, incredible. I don't know who made this cover, but I love it. So here's the deal. Oh, the other thing, before I even get into it, this book, she started writing this manuscript in 2009. 2009. And I'm going to say this 500 fucking times because it's so important for you to understand that it makes this book even more brilliant and like gives you goosebumps. So in this book... We are 10 years living with a virus that she calls H9N9. And the virus is trans is airborne. <gasps> and people need to wear masks and gloves and social distance. Oh my god. <laughs> and she wrote is this she- in 2009. Is she the reason for the season I that don't- is the pandemic? It is freaky deaky so at the beginning of this book she has a like an author's note that i'm assuming will still be there when the book comes out because it is so accurately predicted to the times that we live in that it's important to know that like she thought of this like however many years ago now 13 years ago so she's been slowly working on it since 2009 and there's the glossary at the beginning which is also really helpful so when you read the book i recommend checking it out where she talks about different elements and different kind of slang terms So the premise of this book is we are living 10 years with a virus that is called H9N9, but that is colloquially known as Henny Penny. And she gets into why it's called that, but it's sort of known as like Henny Penny. So 10 years after Henny Penny has arrived to Canada, people, the world has kind of sort of come back to normal. And there is an interim government 
that's called the Regency. And it's basically whoever survived from the previous government and folks that were highly qualified in society were kind of like de facto elected to run some semblance of a government while they try to rebuild. Um, but despite the vaccines, the law still requires people to wear masks and gloves at all times in public. There is a limit on social gatherings. Like, I'm like, whew, oh extremely God. fucking accurate. And people are struggling with the return to normal. And I have to say, this is what I loved the most about this book. And I love dystopian fiction. Prior to the pandemic, I would say historical fiction, memoir, dystopian fiction. Like, that's the bulk of what I've read. I fucking... Mm. Station Eleven is one of my favorite books. Handmaid's Tale. Severance. Um, the Marrow Thieves. Like, I love that shit. But what I love about the petting zoos is that it's not fully post-apocalyptic so it, but it's not in the middle of the apocalypse but it's not fully recovered so it's that limbo stage that we are currently living in where you have in your idea that there's like a drop date like when you're reading dystopian fiction generally it's like oh it's been like this is just how the world is now or it's you know a hundred years ago we had this thing and we rebuilt this is like Half of the people are in denial that it's okay to go back to normal. Other people are like, I refuse to view this as normal. Other people are like, fuck it. I'm just going to live my life. Like, which is what we're living in now. So the psychology of, of where people's heads are at was so on point for me. But the mm -hmm. book focuses on one woman in particular named Lily, who worked in journalism. So she worked from home during the kind of most raging part of the disease of the virus. And she has not really left her house in a decade. She has not touched anyone in a decade. And the only person she's ever really communicated with is her editor, where they would communicate on like some version of Zoom, but it would be all business. So this woman, all of her friends and family members died in the, uh, with the virus. And she had the virus at some point because of a phenomenon known as the sickos. The sickos are evangelical Christians who want people to get infected so that the rapture happens. So they refuse vaccines, they refuse masks, they refuse gloves, and they would purposely go out of their way to try to touch people and infect them. And yeah. So when Lily was a journalist at the start of the pandemic, she was tasked with trying to, to to interview a sicko and this woman reached out to her and said i lost family members to sickos so i am happy to meet with you i can kind of tell you about my experience of loving people who are sickos and also you know i could maybe put you in touch with some sickos so you can talk to them directly turns out that woman was a sicko who was purposely trying to entice lily to come to her house so she could infect her and she did and Lily almost died. And so her extreme, quote unquote, paranoia about the virus is well-founded. Because this woman was yeah. on death's door as a result of what happened. But you go 10 years without touch, doesn't really end well for you. And what happens is there is a surge of people who are taking their own lives or committing murder-suicides because they're going crazy from the lack of physical touch. Unsurprisingly, women are self-harming. Men typically are committing murder-suicides. And so oh. as a result of this, the government has implemented these clinics where you can go and get what we would view as like a massage, but it's actually just someone in gloves and a mask, still wearing gloves, just touching your body. Not massaging it, Aww. just literally touching your body so you can feel the touch of another person. Oh my god, like a professional cuddler? Ish, yeah. So kind of like that. But that's not scratching everyone's itches. And so becomes the creation of petting zoos, which are these underground, very, very illegal clubs where people go to either be an animal that gets touched or to be a person that goes to touch. And unsurprisingly, there are... There are vanilla ones that are very much just like someone's in a leotard and someone else is just like touching your shoulder, touching your face, like just touching another human being. 
But I mean, we all know shit's going to get freaky. So there's this mm-hmm. absolute, like, cr- there's a whole underground world of people who are part of these petting zoos, some of which are very, very gross and like like physically like unhygienic. There's very little screening processes. People are, you know, having sex openly. Um, many of them are in, are in interested in animal play so they like pretend that they're literally a cow at a petting zoo or like literally a horse and like they're like defecating openly and like that to more sophisticated ones where you have there's a screening process you have to get tested to make sure that you don't have the virus um and lily has been struggling with the lack of touch and because she's been away for 10 years And the government is now mandating that people go back to work again. Sound familiar. Um, And Mm -hmm. so she has to go back to the office and her boss recognizes, oh, fuck. So she gets prescribed to go to these, um, you know, above board government funded clinics where someone just touches you. And she realizes first she sobs hysterically at every appointment and it comes unglued and then realizes she's been suppressing how horrible she's been feeling for 10 years and realizes this is not enough. Mm -hmm. And just at that moment, her boss is like, I'm assigning you a reporting job of going to one of these petting zoos and reporting back to me. And she has to figure out if she's going to go strictly as a journalist or if she's going to listen to her heart, which is telling her girl, you need to go as a client. Like you need to yeah. be touched and to touch other people because you're going to lose your mind. And that is the beginning of a journey. Oh my God. It's phenomenal, Renee. It is phenomenal. First of all, this will, I mean, this Casey Covert who wrote it is an author, or, uh, is a writer and has been for many, many years. So the writing is incredibly strong. The, mm-hmm predictions i i mean it's fucking mind-blowing to me that like you could have predicted that this would happen but wow it's the psychology of it that is so fucking good and it's dark like it's very dark i mean you have people purposely infecting other people you have people who are engaging in like really fucking intense sexual acts and there's the question of like would they have done this prior to Henny Penny or was Henny Penny an excuse for them to do it? There's incredible commentary on coercion and what consent looks like. Um, Just, and this woman just on a journey, just on a journey of self-exploration of trying to figure out what does it mean? What is my baseline of normal in a world that is abnormal, but I'm being told is now the norm and that resistance to like, I don't want to normalize this because I want to believe we can go back to the way things were, but the realization that we can't like these, I mean, this is so fucking relevant <laughs> to the world right now, yeah. but it is oh like, ooh, and it's spicy and it's creepy and it just gets you thinking like it's a book that it's about 400 pages. So like kind of standard for a novel, but, um, I actually read it quite slowly because you really just sort of digest a lot of the pieces. Again, I don't know that I would have read it so slowly pre-pandemic, but I think because it's just, it hits you so hard. Like as a single woman who lives alone, who is like extremely affectionate, like my love languages are physical touch and words of affection. So like I have never gone this long without being hugged in my entire life. I grew up I mean, you know, my family, my family's like yeah. huggy, kissy. We love you. Like my family's very physically affectionate, even though I teach yeah. consent for a living. Like people think because of that, I have like this huge bubble where I don't want to be touched. Exact opposite. Like I will double kiss a stranger. I will hug a rando. Like that's just how I'm just like such an affectionate, physically affectionate person. So mm-hmm. I a hundred percent got it. I was like, I would be, if it was that strict where for 10 years, I literally couldn't touch another human being. You absolutely fucking believe I would be at a petting zoo, like, full on. And then it just gets you thinking, because, like, when you go to the petting zoos, you have to decide before you enter if you're going to be touched or to touch. And then it gets you thinking about, like, what would I be more starved for? Touching someone else or being touched? Like, I don't know. And I couldn't answer you by reading the end. Like, by the end of the book, I still was like, I don't know. And maybe I'd be more frustrated that it wouldn't be like a mutual thing. Like maybe it would just make me feel worse. And like, it is so good. Cannot recommend it enough. It is fascinating, well-written, 
Uh, and if you are, if you love dystopian post-apocalyptic, like I said, uh, you know, station 11 for sure, but also America Pacifica, a book that I love mm-hmm. that like I had to hunt down. I told you about it. You also loved it. Um, I loved it. Yeah. So good. Uh, Marrow thieves. Like if that, if any of that stuff appeals to you, uh, get pre-order the petting zoos, certainly pick it up. Uh, it comes out at the end of May in Canada. Um, phenomenal. It sounds like this book is going to be huge. I honestly really hope so. And I hope that it doesn't turn people away because it feels too real. Like that they're like, Ugh, I don't want to read about that while I'm living it. Like, I hope that doesn't screw it over because it's just, it's so brilliant. It's so brilliant. And again, thinking about as a, like a woman's journey of self-discovery and finding love in a world where you can't touch people trying to explore your sexuality while also dealing with the shame of like why like those feelings of like why am I debasing myself like why can't I just rive as above and like be resilient and like just be like just wait my turn and like and have like a consensual relationship with someone and instead being like no my needs are important and like does that make me selfish and like I mean these are universal sadly under patriarchy kind of universal themes that women struggle with (laughs) around like asserting your sexuality um yeah so great so thank you to netgalley for giving me an arc of this book um and in a weird way thank you for choosing horror even though my initial reaction was like oh no (laughs) um it meant that i read this incredible book that i cannot stop recommending to people so that's what i read again the petting zoos by kc as in like the letter K, oh, sorry, KS. Did I keep saying KC? Yeah. KS. KS Covert, Ottawa-based author, comes out May 28th from Dundurn Press, or pre-order it uh, wherever you get your books from, including indie bookstores. You can pre-order through any indie bookstore in Canada. So fuck Indigo, pre-order from your local independent book. Nice. Renee. Wow, that's exciting. Thank you. It's so good. It's definitely one of the best books I've read in a very, very long time. Um. Definitely one of the top three books I've read for the podcast, for sure. Uh, Honestly, the greatest gift you could have given me this year was reading a horror novel and like. <laughs> You're slowly putting me over to the dark side. You really are. And I, I, I love, as a Gemini, I love some duality. So I'm here for it. Yeah. What did you read oh, this I week? I'm dying to know. Sure. Okay. Well, I had two compilation books of erotic horror. And one of them was called Hot Blood, and one of them was called I Shudder at Your Touch. And I read a bunch of stories from both of them, honestly, because I wanted to find the best one. Now, the Hot Blood book, I I realized they were all written by men. Every single story was written by men, and that was very clear in the stories. It was typically like um, a man with ill intention looking to like hurt a woman, typically in a sexual way, and the woman getting revenge. usually through a paranormal means um and i i liked that but it was it was too much so i shudder at your touch is actually a compilation put together by a woman named michelle slung and michelle slung has put together a bunch of other compilations um like female detectives that kind of stuff and i shudder at your touch is kind of like a love letter to these horror authors um and at the start of every single story, she talks a bit about the story itself and then why it's incredible, why it's important, and why she loves that author. Um, so some of the authors in the book, it opens with Stephen King. We've got some Angela Carter. We've got um, a bunch of people. Ruth Rendell's in it. Um, it was a good mix of male and female writers. Um, and I actually didn't notice this when I bought it at the thrift store, but it's signed by one of the authors. Oh my God. Um, and it says on it, Jim, there's one great story in here anyway. <laughs> and it was by one of the, one of the authors named, um, Eric McCormick. And I didn't, I read that story and it was very weird. Um, but I liked it. I liked most of the stories in this book, but the one that I liked the most was the last story. And it was written by Clive Barker. You know, Clive Barker. Yeah. How do I know that name? 
Hellraiser. Oh! Nightbreed. Very famous iconic. Um, author. Iconic. Queer man. Um, really, like, very famous for his horror and fantasy. Um, he's an artist. He did a lot of the work for um, a lot of comic books about Hellraiser. Um, really, really great. Um, guy and this story was no exception it was incredible the first thing I ever read by Clive Barker um, and I was I I thought it was going to be very gross and awful because Hellraiser is gross and awful in the best way um, but here's what Michelle Slung wrote at the beginning of it that I thought was just it was really what sold me on reading this so it says um, because there are what can only be termed as harrowing perversions of desire on exhibit here, I must also stress the tenderness that unexpectedly breaks through. I could be mistaken, but I do think that Barker provides in Jacqueline S. an utterly original expression of admiration for and hom homage to the smoldering primal force that is a woman's sexuality. And that is bang on. It was bang on. Um, so it's called Jacqueline S. Her Will and Testament. And it was a wild fucking ride. I could not put it. <laughs> it wasn't very long. Uh, probably about like 20 pages. Oh, no, more than that. About 50 pages. So the longest story in this book. Um, and it's about a woman called Jacqueline S. Who is a housewife. And she is just miserable. She's miserable. Every day is the same thing. She's doing laundry. She's taking care of her husband. And it's just terrible for her. It, And she decides... She just, like, can't take it anymore. And um, she, like, prays to God. She's like, please, just, like, crucify me if you must, but put me out of my misery. And it says here, in lieu of his euthanasian benediction, which I was like, fuck, I'm hooked. That's great. <laughs> um, she takes one of her husband's razors and slits her wrists. Ooh. Right at the beginning of the book. Very first page, first paragraph. Boom. <laughs> and her husband, Ben, has come home early and he's like, are you in the bathroom? What's going on? And she's like, she just thinks to herself, go away, go away. And she's, it's very clear from the beginning that Jacqueline um, thinks a lot of things, but she hasn't found her voice. So she's thinking like, go away, leave me alone. And he's not hearing her because she's just thinking it. And so finally, she's like dying on the bathroom floor and Ben breaks down the door and she lives. She's very disappointed that she has lived because she's like, I can't go back to this life. I can't do it. Um, and so Ben sends her to a doctor, the best of the best. Um, but this doctor is really dismissive of this like legit suicide attempt that she had. And he's like, you know, we just need to do a little bit of tinkering here. Like you don't need therapy. You don't need to talk about this. This is a very common issue with women your age. Like it's basically an epidemic for housewives right now. And like, really it's fine. And she's like barely 30 years old. <laughs> he's like, but this is super normal. And so he's like all good male doctors is like not even looking at her in the face. It's just like, you know, like, this is normal. I know what it's like. I know what's going on with you. You just need some sedatives and a vacation. And as she's hearing this, you know, she's realizing how patronizing he's being. And um, she's thinking to herself, like, you're not a woman. Like, you don't know. You're not a woman. And every time she thinks something like that, he's like, oh, did you say something? And she's like, no. But she keeps thinking to herself, like, you're not a woman. You don't fucking know. And as he's going on, she's like looking at his body and he's like peak male physique. And she's like, you know, you, you don't know, like you don't fucking know. And then she thinks to herself, be a woman, like just be a woman for a hot sec, be a fucking woman. And you'll know what happens to him <laughs> while she's thinking this to herself is she wills his manly chest into making breasts of itself and begins to swell most fetchingly until the skin bursts and his sternum flies apart. His pelvis teased to breaking point, fractured at its center, unbalanced. He toppled over onto his desk. And then he's trying to lick his lips. His mouth is dry. He can't say anything. Um, and then from between his legs, tons of blood just starts falling out of him and his bowels thud on the carpet. Oh, no. So she turns him into this very violent <laughs> form of a woman just by thinking it. So we know now that Jacqueline has powers. <laughs> Jacqueline has powers that it took her some rage to, to find. 
Um, but this this event was so traumatic that she, like, the police kind of fluff it off. They're like, obviously, a psychotic came in here with a hammer and saw and did this to this doctor um, and, like, send her on her way. Like, they can't believe that, like, anything else could have happened. So she forgets. She forgets about this. She stuffs it down. She ignores it. But as the months go on, it, the memory starts to come back to her. And she stops thinking about how nauseous and awful it felt and instead starts to think about how powerful she felt how she might have felt guilty but now she actually feels like super powerful and she decides she wants it back that was a great feeling she wants that power again because she's been powerless and voiceless this whole entire time so one day her husband who only refers to her as like um jackie or like juju or like all these things um never her full name is like hey i need to talk to you about something and he sits her down and he's like hey um so i've kind of gone off the rails here uh i'm i'm seeing somebody and she's like you can have an affair i don't give a shit like just and he's like it's not an affair i'm in love with her and she's thinking to herself like oh like i know he's about to go on one of his speeches and i just can't fucking listen to it um and so he starts to blame her. He's like, well, you have these moods and you have these, and I had to get attention. I had to get love and this and that. And so in her mind, she's like, you don't need to tell me this, like, just stop. And he's like, well, you never let me talk. You never let me explain. And she's just like, in her mind, she's like, shut up, shut up, shut up. And so as she's thinking that his tongue falls out of his mouth and his head starts to like split and flip open. And he turns in like this weird, like, like lizard man and then she just is still so mad that she compresses his body into like the size of a like a suitcase like a little like briefcase for work and she's like okay and then she she thinks to herself she's like my god this can't be my husband he's never been as tidy as that (laughs) even though she's like compressed him down into this thing so she feels like you know what justice has been served here she packs her bags and she leaves and then the next part of the story is Vassie's testimony. So Vassie is a man named Oliver Vassie. He's a lawyer. And years later, she goes to him because he's looking for a secretary. And she knows him because he went to the same law school as her husband, Ben. And she explains to him, you know, my my husband and you went to school together. He died of cancer, um, but I would really like to work for you. And he's immediately smitten with her. And in the entire story, he's the only person that ever refers to her by her her whole name. And it's in his testimony that I see what um, Michelle Slung was talking about as like a love letter to like women in it and their sexuality, because Oliver is the only character that like really sees her as a whole woman, regardless, like he doesn't ever look at her as like anything um, like an object or anything. He just worships her. He thinks she's everything by this point. She's like in her forties. So she's, not like a young beauty or anything, but he's like, I'm just so absorbed with how incredible she is. Like her, her life is on her face, like her, her sorrow, her happiness, all these things. And he's just totally smitten with her. Um, but he knows nothing of her past and knows nothing of her power. And so one of the things he says was like, you know, it's, it's her history. Like I actually don't need to know anything about her past because she's here now. And I love her the way that she is. Um, And we learn that, like, Jacqueline never again sleeps in a bed after she kills Ben, her husband, because she hates the idea of marriage. She doesn't ever want to be married again. So they sleep on the floor together. He has, like, no qualms with that. He just sleeps on the floor with her. Um, Then one night, he's, like, watching her sleep. And Clive Barker writes this beautiful piece about how, like, it feels to watch somebody you love sleep because it's, like, it's really the only way you could be disconnected from them because they're in this world where you don't exist. And as he's watching her sleep, her face starts to shift and change. And it's like, like just morphine as she's sleeping. And he's kind of like, Oh shit, there's something up with this woman. Um, and, (laughs) and so he's kind of like, okay, this bitch got power, but okay. All right. And, um, he they write this really beautiful piece and it's like um on reflection of course that seems laughably naive to think she wouldn't have known that she contained such a power but it's easier for me to picture her as prey uh to such skill than mistress of it that's a man speaking of a woman not me 
um, of her, Jacqueline S. We cannot believe, we men, that power will ever reside happily in the body of a woman unless that power is a male child. No true power. Uh, the power must be in male hands, God-given. That's what our fathers tell us, idiots that they are. And I'm just like, this book is fucking feminist as hell. <laughs> I am so here for it. So he's like, hey, listen, um, I did some snooping. I'm a lawyer. Um, and I learned that, like, your husband didn't die of cancer. And I know you have, like, something going on with you. So what's up? And she's like, okay, well, I will show you my power. And she's like, starts, like, plucking hairs out of his head. And she's like, see, like, I can control this. But she doesn't, she can't control it as much as she would like and oliver is like completely devoted to her he's not scared of her he's just like you're incredible but then jacqueline decides that she needs to leave him she needs to find somebody who can help her control her power better and so she decides to go find like a man with power to teach her how to how to control herself and so she leaves oliver and oliver gets it because he's like she didn't bewitch me like they said it says she didn't bewitch me that's a romantic lie to excuse rape and i'm like oh that's so fucking good um but she's like he's he's like you know she's liquid she's boundless and she's an individual and i'm obsessed with her and i love her but she didn't do this to me like she's just incredible so he understands why she's leaving so she leaves and she goes and finds this guy called titus pettifer and titus is like a billionaire he owns like all these companies he's super wealthy he's super powerful so she's like we're gonna be together and he's like mm, i'm married like it's not gonna happen she's like no no you're super powerful and i'm super powerful and we're gonna be together and she's just like okay let's like fuck and he's like okay and he's horrible like he's horrible in bed he only calls her jay never her full name and one day he decides you know what i can't live this way anymore i'm so scared my wife is gonna find out um Lyndon, his secretary, did like some background checks and saw a picture of like what her husband looked like after she like completely obliterated him. And he's like, uh, you're crazy. I'm afraid of you. Um, I don't want to be together. And then we find out that like Lyndon had like blackmailed him into breaking up with her. And um she's like, okay. She's like, well, don't you ever come after me? Like, I don't want to see you. I don't want to be with you. Just like don't ever come after me. But instead, she goes after Lyndon. So she shows up at Lyndon's office and she's like, hey, like, why are you blackmailing this guy? Like, what's going on? And he's like, you're a whore. You're a slut. You're all these things, blah, blah, blah. And this is the first time she plans to kill somebody. She plans to, like, basically, like, murder them. And as Lyndon is going off, calling her a whore and, like, a gutter slut and a cunt and all these things, she starts, like, using her mind to pull his skin, like, just, like, across his face and his bones and everything until it just rips down the middle damn and she's like yeah she's like oh damn i guess i like fucking did that okay and so as the story goes on she is um she's left this titus guy but because he's so powerful he sent people after her and they um abduct her and they put her in this cottage but they she, they've been instructed to give her whatever she wants so she's she's happy she's not trying to leave she's like she knows what's going on and then meanwhile um oliver vesey is like trying to find her and um because he's just like he loves her right and so one day titus shows up to this cabin she's being kept in and he's like look he's like i can't live with you but i can't live without you um you're awful and scary so i need you to kill me and she's like no and at this point she decides she's like i'm overdoing things for men and i'm over being like commodified that way and i don't need to do shit for you fuck you and he's like no and so he starts beating her up trying to get her angry to kill him and eventually she's just like you know what i'm gonna kill him but it's for me not for him um but she decides not to kill him what she does instead is she rearranges his entire body so that he looks like an animal a disgusting horrible animal and then um his like they hear like his his bodyguards or whatever hear him like screaming and stuff and they come in and she's like come on titus let's go like calling him like a disgusting pig dog that he is <laughs> and um these like military guys are like oh my god what is this and then they get scared of him and they shoot him and he dies um, but she didn't do it she's like stood on her laurel she's like i'm not gonna kill this guy that's what he wants so somebody else kills him so then um Oliver catches up with her, finds out she's in Amsterdam. Um, and it's because she had sat down with one of the guards asking about his mother and his family and everything. And he's like, well, my mother was a prostitute. And, um, you know, that's just what our life was like. And she, 
and she says, you know, was she happy? And he's like, I, she wasn't happy. She wasn't sad. I never saw her laugh or cry. And so Jacqueline decides that's what she wants. She wants to neither be happy nor sad, but she's scared of herself. So she goes to Amsterdam to like the red light district and she becomes a sex worker. Um, but in doing so, she um, she like kills every single man that fucks her. Um, and she gets this pimp and his name's Coos. And she tells him, listen, if Oliver ever shows up, he doesn't need to pay to come in. Like, let him in. Um, and Coos finds Oliver because Oliver's gone to Amsterdam. And he's like, you need to give me a bunch of money and I'll let you go see her. Um, and so Oliver's just like, yeah, like, she's everything to me. So he sells every single thing that he has to get this key to her room. Um, and he goes in and she's like tied up on this bed. And he's like, why is she tied up? And he's like, no, no, she, like she asked for this. this. She wanted to do this. And so she hears him and um, she's like, oh, Oliver, you came. I love you. And then because she finds out that her pimp like um, cheated her, she kills him, but not in a really super gruesome way. She just like uses her mind to crush his lungs. No big deal. Um, (laughs) And so Oliver like is there. He's tender. He's like he like unties her and stuff. And then it it ends with them having sex. And it's like she finally feels whole. But she realizes during this time that she's like, I need other people to like understand myself and like i don't understand myself if i'm not like like i don't understand my skin and stuff if i'm not having sex with with men and it's just this really incredible story like it was beautiful (laughs) even though it was so violent and gross um and very descriptive of how she like you know tears apart these these men and in this story the the sex she has with oliver this man who like genuinely loves and respects her is really beautifully written it's very beautifully written it's it's lovely and passionate and and kind and then meanwhile the sex that she has with this titus character is like very disappointing like you're disappointed for her you're like oh this guy fucking sucks like what a fucking loser (laughs) and um it was great i really liked it and um i liked a lot of the stories in this book but this one stood out especially because um i get it like i fucking get it it's like how many times have you just been like in a relationship and just felt like the wallpaper or Mm -hmm. like unfulfilled or whatever and then but she has this like hidden power in the thoughts that she can never voice and she uses those to just destroy men and i loved every second Uh, so good so good yes i would read it i've read it twice now because i loved it so much oh love that um yeah and there's actually a second um edition of i shudder at your touch which i am ordering um because it was so good it was so good what a great love letter to horror and sex short stories by michelle slung what a great um it's just a great compilation it was great everything i loved it so um i'm just reading the end of okay. the book um and it's very it's just a short little reading but i think it's it gives you a good sense of like how it was written and how good it is you ready oh i am ready uh-huh. okay <clears throat> jacqueline he said the name of her flesh the whole name jacqueline it was him behind him Koos stared between her legs fascinated by the dance of her labia Koo, she said trying to smile I brought him, he grinned at her, not looking away from her sex. A day, she whispered. I waited a day, Coos. You made me wait. What's a day to you, he said, still grinning. She didn't need the pimp any longer, not that he knew that. In his innocence, he he thought Vassie was just another man she'd seduced along the way, to be drained and discarded like the others. Coos believed he would be needed tomorrow. That's why he played this fatal game so artlessly. Lock the door, she suggested to him. Stay if you like. Stay, he said, Larry, you mean, and watch? He watched anyway. She knew he watched through that hole he had bored in the door. She could hear him pant sometimes, but this time, let him stay forever. Carefully, he took the key from the outside of the door, closed it, slipped the key into the inside, and locked it. Even as the lock clicked, she killed him, before he could even turn around and look at her again. Nothing spectacular in the execution. She just reached into his pigeon chest and crushed his lungs. He slumped against the door and slid down, smearing his face across the wood. Vassie didn't even turn around to see him die. She was all he ever wanted to look at again. He approached the mattress, crouched, and began to untie her ankles. The skin was chafed, the rope scabby with old blood. 
He worked the knots systematically, finding a claim he thought or finding a calm he thought he'd lost, a simple contentment in being here at the end, unable to go back, and knowing that the path ahead was deep in her. When her ankles were free, he began on her wrists, interrupting her view of the ceiling as he bent over her. His voice was soft. Why did you let him do this to you? I was afraid. Of what? To move, even to live, every day agony. Yes. He understood so well the total incapacity to exist. She felt him at her side, undressing, then laying a kiss on the sallow skin of her stomach, of the body she occupied. It was marked with her workings, the skin had been stretched beyond its tolerance and was permanently crisscrossed. He lay down beside her and the feel of his body against hers was not unpleasant. She touched his head, her joints were stiff, the movements painful, but she wanted to draw his face up against hers. He came smiling into her sight and then they exchanged kisses. My God, she thought, we are together. And thinking they were together, her will was made flesh. Under his lips, her features dissolved, becoming the Red Sea he dreamed of and washing up over his face. That was itself dissolving. Common waters made of thought and bone. Her keen breasts pricked him like arrows. His erection sharpened by her thought, killed her in return with his only thrust. Tangled in a wash of love, they thought themselves extinguished and were. Outside the hard world mourned on the chatter of buyers and sellers continuing through the night. Eventually indifference and fatigue claimed even the eagerest merchant. Inside and out, there was a healing silence and end to losses and to gains. So she basically morphed his penis and killed herself on it and killed him. And it was beautiful. (laughs) The end. I love, I love you. I love our friendship. I love how we have so little in common. (laughs) Keeps it fresh though, right? Fresh and fresh and interesting. It does. I mean, we both love Beyonce. Yes, like we do. That's a commonality. That is absolutely yeah. a commonality. A hundred percent. We do have we do have some intersecting interests. But you're like, this was so beautiful, and I was like, oh, so creepy. Here's the thing, though, is I just took a class in like the feminine in Gothic literature, so I'm like unpacking everything I read these days, and reading that story i like annotated it and like broke it down and without i mean the gory stuff aside it's a story about a woman's sexuality and finding herself and you know finding a way to not be repressed and like leaving men behind to like help her find her identity and rage and you know all those things and i was just like empowered by it yeah but it needed to it needed to be gross and scary for me to do that you see because that's just how i am that's 100 percent fair and that's a perfect way a perfect note for us to end on because this is the end of Taurus season Renee's birthday mm-hmm. month and next month so for the entire month of May what is our theme for the month of May Renee fairy tales fairy tales which on its surface seems light and floofy but so many fairy tales like the original like Brothers Grimm version or like Hans Christian Andersen mm-hmm. are dark as shit. Real dark. But even the like you know watered down versions that Disney do the themes very quickly bump up against like a lot of kink iconography <laughs> a lot of like subdom relationship situations a lot of uh, you know, even just like damsels in distress, like those are romance tropes. So it's going to go in all kinds of different directions and we're treating the whole month like a uh, dealer's choice. So both yeah. Renee and I, every week will choose a book uh, related in some way to fairy tales. And I'm excited to see the duality of our light and dark <laughs> friendship come out in this particular month. But I'm going to push myself. I'm committed to pushing myself okay. beyond just floof um and if it's too dark and upsetting well june is my birthday and it's my birthday month so we can just read floof (laughs) for four weeks if need be but i'm so delighted with both of the books that we read this week i love when we both have a book that we loved Mm -hmm. that always just makes it more exciting and so it also means we get to like recommend books that we really want folks to pick up so thank you for taking us on this wonderful journey for the month of april renee Thank you for giving me permission to do so. (laughs) Always, always. Well, when we come back next month, there'll be a new member of our team, hopefully. Yes. And uh, we will also celebrate that sweet little baby. Yeah. Um, Congratulations. A preemptive congratulations to our producer, Josh, who's expecting his baby any second now. 
Mm-hmm. And his beautiful, lovely wife. And um, we'll, we'll be back in May. We will. We absolutely will. Yeah. Whew. What a time. What? This was great. It was. I learned a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I love you. I wish we were together for my birthday. Um, I love you, Joel. we're not. And since we're not. Do sing us out? Do you want me to sing us out? I will. <clears throat> okay. Happy birthday to you. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <clears throat> like, we're at a Chuck E. Cheese and I'm just going to embarrass you. <clears throat> Ravage love. Ravage love. Bye. Bye. Artwork for the podcast was created by Karen McKnight. Special thanks to Press Start to Join for production assistance. For gaming and tech news, search Press Start to Join or on social media at PS, the number two, J Show. Connect with us online at Ravage Love on Instagram and by email at ravagelove.podcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm.